Good morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever you might be listening to this little content here on our main feed. Now, normally, of course, we only release episodes on Fridays, so if you're hearing me on a Wednesday, that means we have a little something extra to offer you up. And of course, this is to give you an idea of what we have to offer over at patreon.com slash nightmarejunkhead. I've given you're going to be basically listening to my reaction to seeing the House of Usher for the first time. And for only a dollar a month, you can get access to two hours of content a month. And of course, as you go up the tiers, you do get access to more exclusive content. So think about coming over and joining our little film family at patreon.com slash nightmarejunkhead. And of course, if any of you are wearing or rocking mustaches, we appreciate that as well. So hopefully you enjoy this little free bonus episode here. And of course, as always, we'll see you in your dreams. Out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that still to this day does not know what gruel consists of. My name is Greg, and on today's Patreon-only episode, the I've Seen That Challenge finds me filling in my Vincent Price gap as I get classy with 1960's Fall of the House of Usher. And if you're listening in, thank you again for being part of our fully functional Nightmare Junkhead film family. And if any of you had come up to me and said, "Uh, Greg, what do you think about the fall of the House of Usher? I'd go, oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, That's that Poe movie with uh, Vincent Price. I've seen that. And let me uh, go ahead and just confess here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not familiar with this source material because I'm not necessarily one of them uh, Poe heads, if you will. I do remember reading some of Edgar Allan Poe in high school but I never really should say, you know, followed his career after that. But I know of him. It's, he's kind of one of those, I've read that with a lot of his work because he's, you know, super influential within the horror realm. But in terms of the literary prose, just not familiar with a lot of his work in terms of having read it or at least being able to recall it. So going into this screening was very much a blind thing but what I was not ready for was the debonairess of one young Vincent Price because two things stand out in this screening number one he is rocking and I I have a a verification on this rocking this bleach blonde hair in the the house of usher as it was you know entitled on the the dvd that I that I watched but I, he has got a, I want to say a Rutger Hauer-esque kind of look going on there. I don't want to say that Wesley Snipes saw this look and said, I'm going to you know bleach my hair blonde because of Vincent Price and the fall of the House of Usher. But it's a possibility because he looks really good with it. And I suppose I should maybe admit, I just assumed he would have just, you know, the blackest of black hair but I should not be surprised that he looks so good platinum blonde. Now, the other thing that I was not ready for, and I don't think anyone's ready for this, but if I say Vincent Price, people think, of course, number one, horror, but number two, 
I'm pretty sure of the things when I say Vincent Price. It's going to be his mustache. The man wore a mustache. I'm not going to say he rocked it because he was a classy individual. He wore a mustache. He, he, the mustache fitted him is what happened. And I'm so familiar with that. And it's shocking because in this film, he is sans mustache. So from the get go, I was kind of shook. It's like, oh my God, what is this? And (laughs) embarrassing story here. My dad growing up always had a mustache and I'm convinced at this point, I've seen pictures of he and my mom before me and then after me, I'm pretty sure he did not have one before me, but I'm positive as soon as uh, my mother gave birth to me, you know, you don't want to cut the cord sure, but here is now your official mustache. You're a dad, wear it with pride. But he was also a firefighter, so it, it went hand in hand. I mean, he had a mustache. My dad, my dad equaled mustache. That's what my easily equated to. So my dad's friend was getting married. My dad was a part of the the groomsmen. And he decided to shave his mustache off. And dis- I distinctly remember him coming out of the bathroom and I started crying because I no longer recognized who this person in front of me was. My dad without his mustache was not my dad. It was a stranger to me. Now, even more embarrassing, this only happened a month ago. No, that's a really bad joke. No, I was I think I was all of like five or six when this happened. But it shook me. I mean, it shook me to my core. And to this day, it's something we'll laugh about because he had he I just that was the connection I made. Mustache equals dad. No mustache equals not dad. And it was the same thing with growing up in the 80s. Uh, I, we'll get to the House of Usher, but I'm going to talk about mustaches here for a second. Uh, <laughs> the mustaches were king. And there were several people out there, again, if I say their names, you'll associate them with certain movies, this or that, but you're also going to associate them with a mustache. For example, Burt Reynolds. Oh yeah, Cannonball Run, Smokey and the Bandit, mustache. Tom Selleck. Ah, Magnum P.I., Three Men and Baby, mustache. John Waters. Crybaby, Pink Flamingos, Pencil Thin Mustache. What I'm getting to is some people that becomes associated. So imagine your terror if you were to ever see them without a mustache. I've seen Tom Selleck without one. I believe on the Friends sitcom he actually shaved it. But outside of that, you just don't want to see them without. It just, it goes, it, it is not them without it. So... I'm I'm in those camp and Vincent Price is another one of those individuals that wore that amazing pencil thin mustache throughout the entirety of what I was familiar with him. And when it's not there, it's like watching someone else. This is not this is like um Vince Price, not Vincent Price. This is Vince Price. This is his cousin. It, it was just it was unsettling, but his character was a perfect combination of devious sinister but also very frail. And that's what I loved with this movie is just to every instance we got to hang out with Vincent Price. He had some great, wonderful line deliveries when he was just very, hmm, ha, hmm. You can, 
not the contempt in his voice, but the body language, but it just played played wonderfully. And the movie itself, I truly enjoyed because it's a movie that is all about the like the sins of the father, the sins of the family, and how it continues through generations. And there's a wonderful sequence in the movie where Vincent Price is introducing uh, one of the main characters. Again, if you're not Vincent Price, it doesn't matter. But he's going. Uh, he's showing them all these paintings of uh, various family members, and then talking about the maled, the, the bad things that they were involved with. And it's just a murderer's row. And when Vincent Price is, when he's delivering every little bit and piece, it's it's delicious. It's like one of his dinner parties. It, it's it's wonderful, and it's a very minimal story, which I really liked. And it also goes into a little bit about oppression. Uh, and, and listen, the source material itself, it's Edgar Allan Poe. So you know it's going to be heady. You know it's going to be scary. You know it's going to make you think. And they were able to apply that into this film. And the production design was beautiful. Very lush. This almost, I thought it was a Hammer film initially. I'll, I'll just admit it. Now, of course, my first clue should have been, you know, no Christopher Lee. But you know it's Vincent Price. It's it's fair. It, you know it's it's I guess the Americanized version here. Um, but it played wonderfully. Now the scares in the movie. There is a lot of build up to everything at the end, and there's some fantastic work here, including the concept of being buried alive, which many of films have been created about that. Many of stories have been built around that because it's terrifying. And then, of course, being buried alive by your brother who's just trying to snuff out this horrible family curse. He himself is ready to die. The House of Usher itself is a character. The house moves. It shakes. It reacts to the characters. <laughs> this movie was a freaking blast. Um, there's a pretty famous scene in this one where her hand comes out of the coffin and it's all bloodied because she's been trying to claw her way out. Imagine clawing. And... You even see, this is another one, I, saw, I watched the trailer afterwards, and I'm glad I didn't watch the trailer beforehand, because it really gives away a lot of the film, which, you know, a lot of the films, well, and again, keep in mind, this came out in 1960. We did not have the internet. When you saw a, a trailer, you were only going to probably see it the one time, so they had to make sure they gave you a reason to come in, and eventually you'd like to see the connective pieces. <laughs> But it gives away a lot, especially as her kind of ghouled out. And there's a dream sequence in this movie that was, I thought, was very similar to some of the work in Carnival of Souls, which the same year? I need to go and double check that. But there's a ghoulish kind of theme going on in a lot of those films and a lot of choking. Someone's going to choke someone out on this one. So the movie ends. I'm like, this was this was wonderful. And you didn't get any credits beforehand. It was just Vincent Price, House of Usher. And immediately see that it is directed by Roger Corman. And I was like, holy smokes. I Not one bit of nudity. A very classic, classy, classy tale, tale that was told. All done under the guise of one Roger Corman. And I guess I'm just more familiar with his sleazy 70 and 80s work that's what I know so imagine my surprise when it's directed by Roger Corman going I was like oh good on him and it again all the fun of reverse engineering into a lot of these films is the surprise hell I've talked about 
when I go to go in blind with these movies, when I watch the credits, like with Mandy, again, Bill Duca's Carruthers, that was a genuine surprise for me. So when the credits roll at the end of the film, and I see directed by Roger Corman, I'm like, awesome. And then written by Richard Matheson. And I was like, holy smokes, this is even better. Richard Matheson, responsible for your favorite Twilight Zone episodes, responsible for I Am Legend, which I back when I was a reader, I remember reading it and loving it. He is he is responsible for so much good sci-fi genre goodness. And the fact that then uh, horror and genre sci-fi, they all go hand in hand. So it was just a wonderful melding of all these talents back in the 60s when things were still being made like that. And I do think this is kind of an American Hammer film in many ways. So when you have, I don't know if Roger Corman is the American Terrence Fisher, potentially. But regardless, this was wonderful. And I cannot wait to take in more of Vincent Price. I actually took, I think, three films last year or with at least within the last couple years of his in the theater. Now, this was a home viewing experience, so thank you for that. But I think this is a movie that would be best appreciated with people that appreciate Vincent Price. And I guess now, you know, more than anything, I'm now truth. I'm now thankful that I can truthfully say, follow the House of Usher. I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs>